0: We're in the middle of a series called Supernatural. We're looking at Jesus' miracles, miracles of supernatural intrusions into the natural world. They are windows through which we can more clearly see who Jesus is and what his kingdom is like. With that in mind, look what it says in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Jesus commands his disciples, let us go to the other side. And between their departure and arrival, the storm descends. Storms move quickly from the mountains into the Sea of Galilee. The boat they used could hold up to about 15 people. This is approximately just roughly what it would have looked like. Um, waves end up breaking over the bow, and the boat begins to take on water. And what we read, Jesus is asleep in the stern, the back part of the boat, and there's a raised platform in the back with a space underneath it. And I don't know if Jesus is, he's probably not on top of that platform, he's probably underneath it, you know, like getting splashed and he's just dozing away. That's probably not the deal, he's underneath. He's described as being in the stern and being asleep. It's a remarkable thing, no matter which way you cut it, even though he might be somewhat protected, that he... Um, can sleep the disciples are not sleeping they're afraid they understand their lives are in jeopardy Uh, a good number of them are fishermen who understand the danger that they're in and there's two things that are happening here as you look at these individuals in the boat they are afraid and they're anxious and fear and anxiety are slightly different things they're related but they're slightly different. Fear is the natural response to a perceived threat. When ourselves or someone we care about is confronted by a fearsome situation, a perceived threat, fear is a natural response. You hear sometimes, well, I shouldn't be afraid. Well, we really can't control fear. Fear is something that we react to. What Sometimes Unwittingly, So fear is the natural response to a perceived threat. Anxiety is the natural response to facing it alone. So fear is the natural response to a perceived threat. Anxiety is the natural response to facing it alone. The disciples say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And if you look at that, there's a double-sided thing happening there teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Um, They were upset with Jesus because his inactivity evidences a lack of care. And that's one of the things that happens when we face storms. Those of us who try to inculcate faith in god into our life situations when storms hit there's two things that we're going to deal with relative to our thinking is he unaware or is it that he doesn't care and being confronted with things brings these kind of feelings to the surface we have fear and anxiety we feel like we face whatever we face alone the word Translated anxiety in the Bible means to have a divided mind, a divided mind. And when we find ourselves in storms and as we look at the reactions to that storm, what we find is a couple things. We find I believe you care and I don't believe you care. And it's not that just one of them, but both of them are there. That's one of the things that happens in the midst of a storm. It brings to the surface reactions that we can't fully control. And we we might not like to feel the things we feel in the midst of a storm, but in a storm, you're not going to get to choose your reactions. When things are calm, you can choose a reaction. When things are very turbulent, we can't control what we think and feel. And what we're going to find is we're going to find ourselves thinking, I believe you care and I don't believe you care. We're going to find ourselves, some of our thoughts reflecting belief. And some of our thoughts reflect unbelief. We're going to have a mixed bag if we're honest with ourselves and if we're aware. We find the same thing with Martha. And again, when she is serving the food and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and she has to, there's a bunch of disciples there and, and they have to prepare the food and Mary is preparing the food and she'd like to be sitting at Jesus' feet. That's half of her mind. Half of her mind is at Jesus' feet and the other half is in the kitchen. But since she is occupied by that mind, she is split. She's anxious. She, her mind wants to, she wants to be in one or two places. Well, you should be able to sit at Jesus feast. No, you shouldn't. You have to fix the meal. And, and so that's the problem. It's the problem. And then what she was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? Again, that seems to be the deal, isn't it? When we face storms is we call God's care into question. Both the disciples in the boat, And Martha in the home, they say the same thing. So this doesn't have to be boat size threats. It can be something more moderate, more modest, like feeling like you have a little bit too much of the weight in this arrangement. And both of these things bring forth a question don't you care? Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the preparation? I mean, why do I have to carry the heavy load? Um, there's a sense of ambivalence. And the fact is, storms surface these type of reactions. We find ourselves clutching belief and unbelief. And if you're already in a storm and you want to reach down and you want to find faith and what you find is belief and unbelief, that gets us even more frightened. And that's the way it happens. It's almost like a muscle cramp. You know what happens with a muscle cramp, and then it gets tighter and it gets worse, and that's the same thing that occurs. We face a situation, and we want to look for belief in our heart. And there's belief, but there's unbelief. And so we try to push the unbelief out of the way and keep the belief close. And when the unbelief doesn't go, then we get even more frightened. And we try to push it off a little bit further, and we've gotten more and more and more divided. That's what happened when storms hit. We don't like to see belief and unbelief in our hand. It's there, by the way. If you're in a situation that's difficult, you might be in a kitchen struggling with your role or in a storm struggling with life-threatening situations. In a way, if you're observant, if you're observant and honest, you're going to see belief and unbelief in your hand. We don't like to see that. And because we don't like to see that in our hand, we do a couple of things. We hide it we hide the belief and the unbelief we hide one of the two of them and pretend that no that's not true i'm 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 on course or we don't hide it we hurl it it's well naturally i feel like i feel look who i'm stuck with look at the job that i have look at the car that i drive look at the life that i have look at the look at the people i'm with and so we either hide or hurl we avoid or attack because that's preferable to having to look to see belief and unbelief in our hand. Part of the reason why we attack and avoid, we hide and hurl, is that we have a hard time accepting that we're not in complete control of our thoughts and emotions. Sometimes we believe in church, we hear in church, it's a sin to be afraid. And so we go after our fear as if we should be able to just not react. That just doesn't make much sense. Um, Fear and anxiety are natural responses to threats. Again, those are natural. Now, here's the supernatural response. Faith. Fear and anxiety are natural responses. And faith is a supernatural response. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And what he did, he awoke. Rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. It says, and, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus commanded the wind and the waves. He commanded the cause of the disturbance and the effect of the disturbance. The cause was the wind. The effect of the disturbance was the waves. He said, stop, peace, be still. The, wave, the wind died down, and after the wind died down, the waves subsided. And this seemed to have happened very quickly, and it says there was a great calm. In fact, there's three words. Great is used three times here. Great storm. Great calm. And interestingly, great fear. Great storm. Great calm, great fear. And as we'll see, that word for fear, it's not terror. It's reverential awe. It's, I can't believe what I just saw. And that's what we find there. Um, In response to Jesus' command, again, the wind ceases and a great calm results. Jesus does what only God can do. And he reveals himself to be Lord over nature. That's something that they would have been very compelled by at that time. And that's why Mark includes it, wants to make a clear statement about who Jesus is. He has the power over nature. Um, He is the master of wind and sea. He possesses divine authority. It says, and they were filled with great fear. Said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Again, fear is not terror here. It's reverential awe. The storm frightened them, but Jesus' power amazed and overwhelmed them. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's not really a question. It's a, what the heck? It's a statement of, boy, do you realize what we just saw? Do you realize what just happened? We knew that we were in trouble. Did you see what he did? He talked to the wind. And it stopped. He talked to the waves. And they were quiet. You know what this tells us? He really is who he says he is. This is God. Again, we live on this side of that. at that time, can you imagine what that, trying to stretch your mind to believe something like that? God's walking God was with us on the boat. It was God on the boat. Yeah. let's apply this story as we think, to a couple of questions. Why do we face storms, and how can we have faith? First first, why do we face storms? Um, this is about faith and how it's developed. Um, the reason why they were in the storm, Jesus said. Um, let's get into the boat and go to the other side. And they got into the boat. You know why they experienced the storm? Because they obeyed God. They obeyed him. And because they obeyed him, they ended up in a storm. That's a switch, isn't it? When you think of being in a storm, what we naturally assume, where did I go wrong? You know, you zigged and I zagged, obviously, because you would never lead me into the middle of a God forsaken circumstance. And the reason why they are in this place is because they obeyed God, not because they didn't. Which leads us to this observation. You can be smack dab in the middle of God's will and be bailing like crazy. smack dab in the middle of his will and be confronted by all kinds of circumstances and all kinds of agitated feelings and thoughts, we tend to equate God's presence with peace. And it does mean peace. But to obey him and to follow him, you will face situations that will not feel peaceful. Why do we face storms? We face joy because we follow him. And he calls us into places and circumstances where we're going to be fearful and anxious. And why does that happen? Well, look, just first things first. Says, Look what James says. James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. tossed by the wind but that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the lord he is a d- double-minded man unstable in all his ways why do we face storms they are inevitable consequences of following jesus it says in fact paul writes everyone who wants to live a godly life in christ jesus will be persecuted Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will undergo things that feel threatening and hostile. They will face faces and relationships that are not pleasant. They will, it will surface feelings that are not pleasant. If you want to live godly, this will happen. That's what Paul writes. Storms are not optional. It's the context in which we Become well. It says, um, "Let have its firf, per, full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." We face storms because we follow Jesus, and because faith requires it. When it talks about the testing of your faith, testing of faith is not putting someone in a situation to try to split them necessarily. What the The word for testing, actually, it's a word used to approve something. It's, again, a common picture for testing is refining. That's a really good image of testing where when you take a gold ring and you immerse it into a solution to test the character of the gold, is it pure, is it, flawed. And so when you subject this ring to a test, you're not intending to expose its impurities. You're intending to surface and to determine its purity. That's the deal with that's what a, a test is. It's It's like if you've trained for races, some of you race, and a race is a test in that it calls For you to exert energy, which ends up evidencing the preparation that you've put in place. That's what a test does. You can't just put it in cruise control when there's a test. You have to exert energy. There's force. You have to apply yourself. If it's running, you have to apply yourself with its faith. You have to apply your faith. So you're going to be in situations where your faith is not going to be propelled by a wind that just carries it along. It's going to be a contrary wind. And you're going to need to take hold of things about God because they're not going to be natural. Not going to be natural. That's to have faith when things are comfortable is okay. But what it says, God is intent enough to develop our faith that it's not going to happen. You're going to find yourself in situations. Well, you're going to find yourself in storms. Um, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given him. Um Talks about the things that happen in a storm. Um, Says talks about steadfastness, and it says the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness have its perfect result. Steadfastness, uh, you're not going to like this word. Not going to like this word. It comes from two Greek words: under and remain. Under and remain. I uh, Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith develops the ability to remain under stormy situations that if you'd escape if you could, but you can't. You can't influence yourself to want something different. You can't influence them to change their desires. As Jay talked about, there's tension between what you want and what you have, between what you want and what they will give you. That creates tension. When what I want and when I have are aligned, there's no tension, right? What I want, what I have, if they're the same thing, no tension. If what I want and what you do are aligned, tension? No, no tension. And it's okay to have times like this, but what's going to happen, what I want and what I have will come into conflict. That creates tension. What I want and what you will give me creates tension. Tension is not optional. And when we experience tension, our natural result, our natural response is to hey, don't you aware? Aren't you aware of what I'm going through? Don't you care? We hurl at people. Well if I'm experiencing things that I don't want to experience, I mean somebody somebody goofed, right? I mean I'm a child of the king. I'm 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 a I'm the I'm the son or daughter of God Himself. And naturally I should be deferred to. No, you shouldn't. Not if you want your faith to grow. And that's just the way it is with all of us. We're going to find ourselves in a situation where we're holding on to things we don't want to hold on to and when we have what we don't want to have, and when we're not able to do what we want to do, you know what ends up happening? We don't feel what we want to feel. When we don't have what we want to have, when we don't do what we want to do, we don't feel what we want to feel. It's tough for us to feel things we don't want to feel. And when we feel things we don't want to feel, angry, anxious, we try to make our desires change. We try to make their decisions change. Because if I can change my desires or change their decisions, I can change how I feel. And you know what the deal is? God's going to surface some feelings in you and He's not going to allow you to change your desires. And He's not going to allow you to change their decisions. And you're going to feel things you don't want to feel. And at that time, you're going to hold this in your hand. And you're going to say, you know what, God, this is very difficult. And I both believe you care and I don't. And in that place, it's not a nice place to be. But it's a place where faith is developed. And what James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials again. This is not something, if you, if you smile and say, I'm so thankful that God put me in this situation, be quiet. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. But in that place, and if you're experiencing tension, it's possible to say, you know what, God, I don't like this, but that doesn't make it bad. What ends up happening, we end up encountering situations that are uncomfortable. We call them bad. I got a question. That tension in your life, the thing causing the tension, is it bad? Is it bad? Does God send it into your life to do bad things? Does it feel bad? Does it feel bad? Yes, it does feel bad. Is it bad? No, it is not. And I think at some point we, we have to learn to differentiate between, well, we have to learn to call our feelings feelings. That feels, that feels, that feels rather than, and that's a way to kind of, to be in touch with what's happening inside without labeling it. You know, that, I feel this, I feel that, I think this, I think that. We are more than, again, we have all kinds of different feelings and thoughts. Part of the hard thing is observing these things. Um, what God's going to do, he'll, he really is in the business of creating steadfastness, which he's going to cause us to remain under someplace. In fact, when it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, you know what that wisdom is going to allow you to do? To remain under. So when it talks about If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously without finding fault, and it will be given to him. I hear a lot of people talk about, boy, thank God for wisdom, you know, and I was in a really tough place. (laughs) And I made the call, and automatically I got this windfall. That's fine. Have windfalls. That's great. But understand that the wisdom here is not going to allow you to have a windfall. What this wisdom is going to do, it's going to allow you to remain under in a place that you'd rather not be. You say, "Why would he want to do that in order to allow you to become steadfast? You cannot grow in faith without being steadfast, because God's not going to allow you to do what you want to do and have you want to have in order that you would feel what you want to feel. Neither will He do that with me. It's, not, it's just not the deal. Storms, we're going to experience storms when we follow Jesus. Um, We've got to hold on to belief and unbelief. Uh, it says, like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. When it says, let him ask in faith with no doubting, that word doubting, it's translated most other places in the Bible as judging. The root of the word is judge. And then It has a prefix that intensifies the action of the verb. It can mean doubting. But the word crino is judge, the one that comes before it, intense. So the problem, he seems to be pointing them out, let them ask in faith, not judging. Here's the problem. When I judge something, to judge is to divide or separate it. Divide or separate. And what we tend to do is to divide things into good and evil. Good and evil. And that's what we judge. And so we have circumstances come down into our life. Okay, I got a demotion, but I but I got this. And so what do we do? Okay, I'll put that in the good pile. I'll put this in the bad pile. We judge. We divide. And once I have put these things in piles, do you understand what just happened Now I have to hold someone accountable for why in the heck am I close to bad? Why am I close to bad? What do you mean you're close to bad? That's bad. How do you know it's bad? Because I called it bad. That's why it's bad, because I say it's bad. Again, or we don't want to contain bad. We want to retain good. Because I call it good. Why is it good? Because it feels good. Because I have what I want to have and I can do what I want to do and I can feel what I want to feel and that's good. Again, I'm with you. I'd love, I'd love my life to be that way, but we follow Jesus and it's not going to be the way it is. But once I divide something in good and bad, I will call, to, I will hold someone accountable for being proximal to bad and distant from good. Do you understand that? Once I do that, then this becomes something that I fear. This is a threat. This is bad. And that's good. And once we do that, and that's why it's very interesting. Jesus, it says in Mark's 10, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know what this guy just did? He says, he he took it. He goes, okay, I know a bad teacher and I know a good teacher, so I'm going to divide teachers into good and bad and good teacher. And Jesus said, I am not going to accept that because I'm not going to allow you to project a good and bad on me because, as Jesus, that's not what he does. He doesn't divide life into good and bad. How in the world? Again, we do this instinctively. Think of your life. Think of your life. Divide your life into two categories. Good and bad. You can do this. Do it. Good and bad. Think. I want you to think about circumstances. Good and bad. Think about relationships. Good relationships. Bad relationships. Think about feelings. Good feelings. Bad feelings. Circumstances. Good. Bad. God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You know what I'm going to have to do with this bad side? Again, this doesn't feel, this feels bad, it doesn't feel good, but you know what I have to do? I have to crowd all these things over to this side. For a child of God, there are things that feel bad, but ultimately there's nothing that is bad. Because if we're connected to God, we're connected to good. If we're connected to God, we're connected to good. God is eternally connected to good. If we are connected to God, you, God, good. Good. And to to teach us to grab that, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And when this happens, you're going, to, you're going to grab belief and unbelief in one hand. And it'll happen. And it'll happen. And over time, over time, you are going to slowly develop an ability to become a little less reactive. You're not going to make a split-second decision. That's bad. You're going to... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I can't judge that that quickly. You're going to go through things. You're going to look in your rearview mirror. And you're going to see things that cause you not to look at life black and white. You're going to wait to make a determination. That's what when it says. Nothing doubting. That's what it talks about. And again, it says too another time man came up to Jesus and asked teacher what good thing. So he called him good teacher. Now he's not talking about this is somebody else. Not talking about good teacher, but talking about good thing. Jesus does exactly the same thing. He says, why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one thing that's good, and that's God alone. Do you understand what he's doing? Jesus didn't divide life into good and bad. He didn't divide experiences into good and bad. He didn't divide feelings into good and bad. There's things that felt bad, but he didn't divide them into good and bad. You know how Jesus divided things? Not good and bad, but God and not God. Not good and not good, but God and not God. What is God like? There's only one who is good, and that's God alone. And we learn to depend on God when things are difficult. Um, How do we deal with... Storms. How can we have faith? What it says, Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Um, it talks about a couple of things. There's a storm. A couple of things happen in a storm. Uh, we develop endurance. Endurance in Romans is the same word as the word in James. Do you remember what that word was? It was composed of two words. Remain under. So here's what it says: um, We rejoice in our sufferings, and sufferings in the Greek means sufferings. And we rejoice in our sufferings because sufferings produce endurance. The ability to remain under, it's not comfortable, but we learn to stay in place, to not quickly try to mess with our desires or mess with somebody else's decisions. We, we learn not to react, but to take a breath, to talk to God about it. Then it talks about endurance produces character. Character here is evidence. Character, literally, is the word to describe what happens when I take the ring out of the solution and see that it is pure. It is the evidence of authenticity. So here's what it's suggesting. Sufferings produce endurance. The ability to have gone through a very difficult situation and to see in your rearview mirror, you know what, I didn't do as bad as i did that other time i wasn't as reactive i didn't divide it as much it gives us evidence of maturity i want you to think i bet you you can look in your rearview mirror i bet you can and think of something difficult that you went through again it wasn't smiley but you know what you talked to god a little bit more during that time than you have in the past you still had very difficult feelings, but you still talked to him and you talked to others. You still were trying to deal with faith issues. You had, didn't give up. You kept on coming back. You kept on, you know what that is? That's evidence. That's what that word is. Character is the evidence of something real. If there's only fair winds, at some point, you know your faith isn't deep. It's not real. Anybody can have faith if it's calm, but somebody goes through a storm and has faith, that's something else. And then it talks about character produces hope. Hope is assurance that, you know what, the same thing that guides me now will continue to guide me in the future. Sufferings produce endurance, evidence, assurance. Endurance, evidence, assurance. And as this happens, the roots of faith are going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into his promises. It's less about what you have and more about what he says. This is a very difficult process, but it is the process by which he builds deep faith. And what is it that can propel this? It's God's love, which says, Hope does not put to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know what this means? The reason why you need to know God loves you is not just because it makes you feel good, but because what it enables you to do when you feel bad. When you suffer, people aren't smiling at you. When you're suffering, there's something shameful about suffering. You know what shame is? Shame, I I saw this definition, shame exposes one to the ridicule of society. Shame looks like this. Shame is derision. Shame exposes one to the ridicule of society, which we seek to protect ourselves by being ashamed. What is the universal movement or picture of shame, this is it. Again, if I'm expecting to see derision from you, I feel shame. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn my head, because if I turn my head, what I don't have to look at, I don't have to look at your sneer. What it's saying, hope in God will never result in shame. You will not see God look at you with derision, ever. What he does say, you're going to get in difficult times. And what he says, ask me for wisdom. Ask. Ask. I'm not going to pull you out of this, but I will be with you in the storm. Ask for wisdom. I won't reproach you. I won't say, oh, man, they're going to ask me again. Talk to him. Be honest about what you feel. Be honest about what you think. Be honest, God, this is hard. and, and But know that he loves you. And because he loves you, you can speak freely with him. The love of God fuels endurance, evidence, and assurance. If you don't know God loves you, or to the degree you know God loves you, it will sustain you in a storm. If to the degree we have trouble believing that, we're going to bail out. It's just too difficult to have people sneering and to look up at God and see him sneering as well. It's too much. People give up. you got to know his love. And last verse, love of God is what we'll hold on to in the midst of a storm. It says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. All creatures, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession for We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me tell you what God's love is. It's two things. We have to hold on to belief and unbelief with one hand. It's there. And we hold on to God's love. And I'm going to give you two things to hold on to with respect to God's love. And I think you have to hold on to both of them. One of them you get more specifically from Jesus. Another one you give more specifically from the Father. What you get from the Son is sympathy. Sympathy. We do not have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. I'll tell you what. If you're in a situation where you're bailing like crazy, looking up to God as somebody who is... Standing by saying, well, I hope you make it. Hope you make it. Yeah, just keep at it. There's a little bit too much distance there. You know what? And that's where we do not have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. You know what Jesus says about your emotional reactions and about the inward agitation? Here's what he says. I understand exactly what that feels like. I understand exactly what that feels like. I've been in that place. I've been in that storm. So we hold on to belief and unbelief, and that's hard. But then we hold on to sympathy. I think that this grip, our grip on sympathy, is critical. It's hard, though. Very difficult. We tend to believe that Jesus Jesus was perfect, walked on water, he he felt things. He came so that he would feel things. We don't know the high priest was able to sympathize with our weaknesses. So hold on to what's first thing, sympathy. The next thing to hold on to is from the Father, sovereignty. Sovereignty. The Father is accomplishing good purposes. You will land in a good place. Sometimes we end up clinging to sympathy at the expense of sovereignty, and then you've got jesus weeping with you i'm so sorry you know but god just gets the world going and he does the best he can and and you have free will and so you know he's he just you know poor old god you know he doesn't have a bunch of money so he can't do all the things he wants to do you know so we overemphasize sympathy to the expense of sovereignty some of us over overemphasize sovereignty at the expense of sympathy god's back there like a detached general Mm, that's an interesting move. I think I'll have her have a car accident. Mm, how would that be? That would be very interesting. And so we, we tend to either let go of one thing or the other. Hold on to belief or unbelief. Hold on to sympathy and sovereignty. Why? Because endurance, evidence, and assurance. Um, how do we know God's love? You did not spare his own son, but gave him us for us all. How will not he not also with him freely give us all things? Is God, God holding out on you? Is that why you have storms? Nah. If God were to hold out on you, he never would have sent his son to die for you. And that's what we do when we come to the table. We take the elements, we take the bread and the juice. And I want you to think of your situations. And I want you to think about as you take this and, and as you internalize, this means God loves me. This means sympathy and sovereignty. I'd like you to hold think about some of the circumstances that you have and your reactions with the difficult circumstances it makes me believe and not believe, but think about sympathy and sovereignty. And it's this love that depicted at the cross that is it is the the anchor that allows us to be well, it is the anchor, isn't it? It gives us hope in a storm. We'll have the we we'll have music, go guard the elements some point during The song, eat the bread, drink the juice, and think about the love of God and the sympathy and sovereignty that are reflected from the cross. That will give you the power to develop faith. Will you pray for us? Father, we glean from this that we can be in the middle of your will and be bailing like crazy. The development of faith that brings us to places like this, you would have us hold on to the reality of our reactions, but your sympathy and sovereignty. And over time, our faith becomes a little deeper, a little stronger, not all at once. I'd ask that you would continue to help us to connect with your love so that that connection could begin to leverage endurance and evidence and assurance, faith. In Jesus name, amen.